All right, we're in Genesis chapter 11 this morning. Most of you have probably viewed a movie or a TV program with a a scene that uh, is meant to draw your attention immediately. Maybe an explosion or tragic event, a standoff between police and a criminal. And suddenly a screen pops up and the words five days earlier appear. And the event is then explained by something we call a flashback. And that's really kind of what we have here in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. It is the theological flashback to how the nations were scattered throughout the primeval world. We often refer to this as the Tower of Babel event, but its main purpose is not the building of a tower to the heavens. It shows us how God diverted the collective plan of humanity to continue in its defiance of God. Now, this is the third and last great judgment upon humanity in the primeval world. Explains again our excessive pride or self-confidence. The temptation of Adam and Eve spurred the pride of life in making them think they could choose the good for themselves, which would be better than trusting God. But their decision resulted in evil, and it plunged the whole world into sin and death. As time moved forward, uh, man's pride only increased from that point until it reached the, uh, uh, the, the place where men could not even entertain a righteous thought. And so judgment came upon the whole race in the flood. Now we have a story where man rises up again in a collective endeavor to disobey God's command to fill the earth. And God responds by confusing their language and forcing them to scatter around the world. Now each of these incidents involves the determination of humanity to defy God's boundaries and to reject his word. The result is judgment That judgment is both punitive and preventive. Adam and Eve were removed from the garden so they would not live forever in that fallen condition. The flood destroyed an evil civilization, but through it God preserved the promise of his seed in Noah and his sons. And the confusion of language prevented man from doing everything that they wanted to, to rebel against God's will, and it assured that humanity, again, would not thwart God's purpose to preserve that godly seed that would ultimately be the antidote to man's prideful defiance. So as we look at this passage this morning, we find three movements. First of all, we see again the proclivity of man to defy God in the first four verses. Then we see the activity of God to defeat man's defiance in verses 5 through 9. And the rest of the chapter portrays for us the ultimate antidote to quell man's defiance. So let's ask God's blessing on his word this morning. Heavenly Father, once again, we're thankful that you have given us information that we can find nowhere else about how man got here, 
and uh, how the events uh, move forward to how mankind had to be judged in the flood. And now again, Lord, we see uh, humanity rising up uh, in a fist in the face of God. Lord, we pray that you'll help us to see that uh, we ourselves uh, in our past have raised our fist in your face. But Lord, through your grace and the coming of the Lord Jesus, we've been forgiven. And now we're on a different pathway. Lord, as we look at this passage today, help us once again to realize that as we follow your word and we trust in you, we will be blessed. But if we go a different direction, we're only going to face your judgment. Bless your word to our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the first thing we want to look at here is man's proclivity to defy God. And we see, first of all, in verses 1 and 2, that in his defiance, man migrates away from God. Now, we start off by saying, now the whole earth had one language and one speech. So we're talking about all of humanity, the populated world is what is meant there in the whole earth. And you'll note that that phrase is repeated a number of times in the passage, not only in verse 1, but you see it in verse 4, verse 8, and two times in verse 9. So uh, the earth, the populated world, is being spoken of here, and the fact that the Lord wants the earth to be populated with people, not just in one little locality, but the whole world, The people, however, want to gather together in close-knit units called cities, and they're united in that effort. Now, what's the underlying factor creating this unity? Well, it is one speech. It is one language. Everyone can communicate with each other. They can understand uh, where everybody's coming from. There's no barrier in the words that are used, the language that that keeps the people together. Now, this makes collective planning, either for good or evil, uh, a lot easier, does it not? Uh, I remember um, a few years ago when I was in India, we had a series of evening meetings, and one night when I was supposed to preach, there were three translators, One in Hindi, one in Malayalam, and one in yet another dialect. So I'm preaching, and then three men have to repeat what I'm saying, and the people out in the audience have to keep track. So you can imagine how long that sermon was, having to go through three translators. But what is the problem? Well, the the, the language is different. We can't all uh, understand the same thing. And in the nation of of India... Uh, you don't just have one language. You have tribal languages. You have a national language. You have uh, the nation of the state in which you uh, live. You have a, a, a language. So communication is important. And back then, when you only had one language, it made it a lot easier, really, to rebel against uh, God, as we see in this passage. So the absence of of communication barriers enhance this third attempt now to rebel against the will of God. Now, note here the migration. It is, again, eastward. They're moving in that direction. You remember that the ark uh, that Noah built settled in the mountain range of Ararat, which is in modern-day Armenia, south of the Black Sea, 
and the migratory route would have been down the river Euphrates. It would have gone south for a while, then it would move and turn eastward, going all the way to the Persian Gulf. And that land, as you you went uh, farther east, became known as the Fertile Crescent between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, and that is where primeval civilization began uh, to grow. Back in chapter 10, verse 10, you remember that Nimrod was a mighty hunter in the face of the Lord, and he went there and he built Babel and Erech and Akkad and Kelna. So these were uh, civilizations, little city-states. And it may well be that he was the leader uh, in this construction of the tower at Babel. Now, we need to remember that in the book of Genesis, eastward indicates movement away from God, God's blessing, and God's will. Where did Adam and Eve go after they disobeyed God and they had to be kicked out of the garden? They went eastward. They went east of the garden. What happened to Cain when he rose up and slew his brother? Where did he go? He went to the land of Nod, the 